Today's Father's Day, and I, I want to, every man in the house, just go, okay, just, even if you're not a father, I want to talk to men. I want to talk to men in general, but if you have families, I want you to listen to me. If you do have children, I want you to, because I'm actually going to be talking to the, I'm actually going to do something different today because here's what I've, here's what I've observed after 20 plus years of doing this. Here's what happens. Mother's day. Can we just be transparent for a little bit? Mother's day is one of these, like, you're so perfect. You're and we're always hugging on moms and it's the best day of the year. Okay. Father's day is typically the day where you come to church and you get hammered. You're like, be a better dad. I'm done. I'm like, I'm done with that. I'm, I'm like, I'm totally done with that. And so today we're going to celebrate fathers. And I want to, I want to, we're going to look at a story in the Bible about Noah. And I want you to understand, I need everybody in the building to understand how God set things up. That blessing comes through the father and his families, kids and wives and, and families. If, if we can get our heads wrapped around that. And, and we're going to lean into this today because I don't think I need to tell you this morning that, that manhood has been under attack for probably the last 20 years. You know, do you, do you realize there's never been a statement called, um, uh, we, we have, a, we have a problem with masculinity in our, in our country, don't we? We call it now it's labeled toxic masculinity. You know what I've never heard? Toxic feminism. I've never heard that. I'm happy you're a woman. Trust me. But there's been an attack on being a male. Males are the brunt of every joke on TV. Dads are the dumbest people in the family every time. If it, if it happened and if it's, it was wrong, it's the dad's fault. If you tune into pop culture today, there is no place. Husbands are the only replaceable part of the family unit in our culture. We've been taught that you don't, you don't even need a man to make a complete family. We could do it on our own. We don't. And yet if you came here, become for the last couple of months, you heard me give a statistic about a month ago that fatherless homes is an epidemic in our, in our country. And, and the results of that are traumatizing to the family. It's not, it's not benefiting the family. It's pushing the family down lower. Poverty and, and education, all those rates, all those rates go way off the chart. And so the Bible is extremely clear that number one, fatherhood and manhood was designed by God to be different. Amen? To be different. And if you want to call it toxic, I'm fine with that. But it it looks like what it looks like. Men are meant to kill things and beat things up. You know what what I'm saying? It's like in our DNA. Oh, you want to eat tonight? I'll kill it. Yeah, I don't know. Even if it's just going to the grocery store and killing it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you need somebody to protect you? I'll take the whipping. God designed us that way. And when culture calls that toxic, we don't, we don't know what to do. 
we don't know how to do it any different. And so, um, so I hope you lean in with me this morning. Man, this is your day. I'm gonna teach everybody in the room how to bless you today. Because I think it's super important. So we're gonna turn to Genesis chapter six. We're gonna read the story of Noah. I really like Noah. Noah's out there doing stuff nobody's ever done before. So we're gonna read Genesis chapter six and we're gonna flip to Genesis chapter nine to give a little perspective. So why don't you stand to your feet? We're gonna start in chapter six, read verse nine through 22. Then we're gonna jump to chapter, chapter nine, yeah. So why don't you say amen if you're ready? By the way, I just, I just preached in my, the last uh, Sunday I preached in Africa. That service went from 10 to 1.30. I don't know if you can count, but that was a long time. And Africans say amen. Little hint there. Genesis chapter six, and they thought I was amazing. So there you go. Genesis chapter six, starting in verse nine. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence and God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end to all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 500 cubits, its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, your sons, your wife and your son's wives, even bringing the in-laws like crazy. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. And they shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds and the animals according to their kinds of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into, the, into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall be as food for you and for them. I like this, verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded. Then we're going to skip down to verse 9. Chapter 9, verse 18. The sons of Noah went forth from the ark, and they were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and took his two brothers and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah woke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. 
He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Father, we pray today that we understand where your blessing comes, who it comes from. Lord, as families, we'd be able to operate the way you design. God, we pray today we'd embrace who you made us. Lord, we pray today that the family would be blessed because of the Father. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Noah was a righteous man. Genesis says he was blameless in all of his ways. Now, this might seem like a dichotomy because when we get to chapter 9, Noah doesn't look that blameless, does he? In chapter 9, Noah's getting blackout drunk in the tent without his clothes on. Which for your kids, that's awkward. Just in case any dad was wondering. That's awkward. I need to make sure, fathers, you understand that blameless does not mean necessarily sinless. You do realize we can be imperfect and still blameless before God. Because what happens is you're not blameless because you're perfect. You're blameless because you've been forgiven. And so I can wake up every morning blameless and I can go to bed every night blameless before God. I can be righteous. I can be a man who wakes up in the morning covered by the righteousness of Christ and therefore blameless in front of God the Father. And after I've lived my day, I can lay my head down at night with the forgiveness of Jesus and I can be blameless before God. And you know what that typically means? I can go all night without sinning. I mean, I may be asleep most of that time, but I'm pretty good at it. So I want to make sure you understand Noah was a remarkable figure, but there, but scripture is not saying he was perfect. We find out in chapter nine that he's not perfect. So Noah was a righteous man. His faith in God had made him righteous before God, blameless in the sense that he had been forgiven and we can live The same way we can have the confidence that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Look at your neighbor and say, it is possible that you are blameless right now. Just tell him, especially if your dad or your husband's sitting around you, just say, hey, I'm I'm going with your blameless right now. I'm going with that. Men, that is a good place to live in. That is a good place to live in. That's a good place to dwell in. A pursuit of righteousness is a good thing in our lives. And Noah pursued that. And, and it, was, it was really one of those things that transformed human history. God was going to judge the earth. The earth had become so corrupt and immoral and sinful that God had no choice. And so by the way, by the way, just in case you didn't, didn't know this, the Bible teaches us that at the, in the end times it will be like in the days of Noah. So I don't know if you've looked around lately, but if you read the description of humanity at Noah's time, it sounds like Vegas. It sounds like American culture. It sounds like the things we promote on TV. It sounds like we're in the end times. It sounds like as in the days of Noah, will it be? But Noah in the middle of all that was seeking righteousness, seeking to be blameless before God. 
and his family was benefiting from that life. Not a life necessarily perfection, but a life seeking after God. His family was blessed through it. Matter of fact, verse 18, it says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Now, we need to, we need to make sure something, everybody understands this. The covenant was with Noah. The covenant was with Noah. It wasn't with his wife. It wasn't with his kids. The covenant was with Noah. And he said, because I made a covenant with you, now your family will benefit from that. So can I, can I just make an observation here? Noah might have been under just a little bit of pressure. Noah was building the first boat. He wasn't building a canoe. He was building a cruise ship. He, he wasn't like, oh, we'll try this thing out. A couple little canoe prototypes. See how it floats. No, he jumps into this thing. God says 300 cubits long, 500 wide, like 30 tall, three decks. Make sure the door is in this place. And so... We have to think about the pressure Noah's under because all of a sudden Noah hears from God. Then he has to go back to his wife and say, hey, <laughs> you know, we've been talking about building that vacation home. Yeah. Well, we're going to do that and uh, it's going to float. <laughs> yeah. I just cashed in my 401k because I heard from God. And for the next couple hundred years, we're going to build something nobody's ever laid eyes on. And by the way, it's going to start raining. What's rain? Don't ask. But it's going to get really deep in here pretty quick. But listen, God promised me if I did this, he'd save all of you. There's a weight that is on a man. When you realize that the blessing for your family is coming through you. And oftentimes that's going to require you to do things that you don't actually know how to do. There was no boat builders before Noah. There was no examples to go off of. There was no, there was no, this is the way you do it and you're successful at it. Sometimes what God calls men to is crazy. Sometimes what God calls men to makes people uncomfortable. Sometimes what God calls men to is, is countercultural. It's not how everybody thinks everything should happen. Matter of fact, nobody around Noah was like, yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe we'll stop over at Noah's house and help him build the what? Everything God called Noah to was more difficult. And I think Noah carried that weight on his shoulders God is going to rescue my family through me. Through me. It depends on me being able to build something that nobody's ever laid eyes on before. It's never floating. What is floating? Nobody's ever done this. And yet God has picked me to bless my, not, forget the blessing. Forget buying your kid a car. God has picked me to keep them alive. Man, that's a weight to wake up to every morning. Noah was seeking the righteousness of God. Can I encourage you today to never underestimate the impact of a righteous man? Man, 
Never. Men in this room, never diminish the idea of your righteous pursuit of God and the impact it can have on your family. Psalm 37, 25 says, I've been young and now I am old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. The righteousness of the father, blessing the family. Philippians 4, 8 through 9, Paul says this, brothers, he's saying this is, this, is, this is the way I want you to think. He says, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Think on righteous things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He says, peace will come into your family. Men, it is... It is important that we seek after righteousness. Can I just say that to you? I'm not, I'm not perfect, and we're going to get into that. Not specifically about me not being perfect, but we're going to get into the general idea. It's not a life of perfection that God is calling to you. It's a life of righteousness and to know where it comes from and to know how to obtain it and to know how to be blameless. It's not about not it's, it's not about not, or it's not about being perfect. It's about when you aren't perfect, how to be blameless. It's not casting off blame. It's going before God and saying, yeah, I screwed this up. Now I need the righteousness of Christ to make me blameless. And when we pursue that men, the whole family benefits, but we have to acknowledge that we're not perfect. Don't we? Our culture is capitalized on the fact that we're not perfect. And they've beat us in the ground with it. There's some, there's some strange things about manhood. And, and can, I, can I let you in on a couple things? Ladies, in case you haven't noticed, we don't have a nurturing hormone. It does not exist. God, God I need to clarify a couple things. God created us male and female. And he created men to think a certain way on, a pur- on purpose. And women to think a certain way on purpose. And they, they, you, can't, you can't really cross... It's not like, it's not like a man can just swaddle a baby and it'd be like, no, that's a man swaddling a baby. And it's not like a woman can swing the ax. No, it's, it's not a, it's not a man swinging ax. It's a woman swinging ax. Some of you may not come back next week, but I had prepared myself for that. It's like, Chris, couldn't you come back just to preach a feel-good message? First day back, let him ease into it. So God created us to think different. So here, ladies, let, let me explain this in case you weren't aware of this. Men don't carry babies. I know, it's, I know there's an emoji and all that stuff, but it's not real, all right? <laughs> so what happens when you're carrying the baby in your womb, these hormones and the way God magically made you, the way he crafted you to be able to do that is such a unique thing foreign to a man. And so it's beautiful. And when, when you give birth to a baby, which, which is relatively difficult, I'll admit, I mean, it lasts maybe a day. So what happens is, remember this is father's day. What happens is there's that connection with the baby that the father doesn't have yet. The father's still going like, you sure that's mine? That thing's ugly. So there's this connection that you have that God wired you for it. The man instantly goes in, 
I got to be more of a man now. I have something to protect. I have something to discipline. The way this kid's turn, the way this kid turns out is going to be on me. Their work ethic, their thought process, the man thinking different. A man's not designed to cuddle and, and say, oh, it's going to be okay. I never said that to my kids. I'm like, you all right? And all of them went, yeah. Like arm dangling. Like, I'm fine. If their mother was in the room, they're like, oh, my God. And I'm just like, you okay? Yeah. Just holding it together. You know what I'm saying? Just holding it together. Dad's in the room. Just hold it together. But what our culture done what our, what our culture has done is called that toxic. Literally say the way God wired us was toxic. So now the difficulty for manhood is this. God is still calling us to do things nobody's done before. Just like you called Noah. He's, he's calling you to do things. He's calling you to be in the frontier and he's calling you to, to, to trek out in areas that your family hasn't, hasn't traveled and, and he's, and he's calling you to do all these things. But the culture's saying, Hey, you're a little bit too much like a man. You're a little bit too manly for us right now. And, and, and so men are in this quandary about like, this is the way I'm wired. What a, I don't want to cuddle. I'm glad God designed you like that ladies, but he designed me different. And it's not bad. It's not bad. It's not evil. We're imperfect. I'd like you to think about Noah for a second. Noah, Noah is doing something nobody's ever done before. Noah is building something that nobody ever had plans. He didn't go to Pinterest and get like, well, I'm a fish through the ark plans and see which one's going to fit. He got something from God that God hadn't told anybody else. And so now he's, now he's out there. Can you imagine the pressure? Now, not only that, can you imagine this type of pressure? Can you imagine the first time the boat lifted off the ground? Guys, have you ever walked out into something that your family wasn't hundred percent sure about? And you're like, come on, I think I heard from God. I think you should trust me on this. And you get out there and the boat starts to lift up and the whole family starts to go like this. And they all go, And all of a sudden it's you over here and it's a wife and kids are all hugging on your wife and you're, they're just like, mm. if this thing goes down, just for clarification, it was your idea. And, and you're over here. Listen, no joke. The man's over here going, God, please. I'm sure I heard from you. I'm sure I did. I built an ark. I'm positive I'm not crazy. You told me you rescued the whole family. And now this thing just picked up and I don't know what's going on. And so now you couple that with a culture that says you're too much of a man. And then you put yourself in a position where you have to be a man. Where you can't crawl over into the corner of the ark and and start crying. You can't do it. 
So now in American culture, now we're in this no man's land where it's like, well, I can't be too tough, but I can't, but I got to be tough. And, and the boats kind of, we're, we're floating as a family in an area that we've never been before. And, and everybody wants me to stand up and take charge, but then nobody wants me to stand up and take charge. And every time I make a decision, everybody's questioning it and everybody, and, and I just don't know. And if I, and if I stand up to discipline the kids, I'm too tough. And if I don't, then I'm, then I'm neglecting it. And I just don't know. And here's, I'm not, I'm not hammering ladies, but, but that's not an issue with women. You can't be too nurturing. Nobody's like, what's well, some toxic nurturing? Look at that. But men are in no man's land now where we're just like, I don't know what to do. Should I fight or should I not fight? By the way, if you come in my family, you'll find out I've already made the decision. We turn the news on and it's shaky and we don't know which one we're supposed to be. And to make things worse, our families have not figured out where the blessing comes from. Because we've been taught to expose people. That's where our culture does it now, isn't it? The gotcha moments, the the TMZ, the whole thing. Can I catch somebody doing something wrong? And so we've taught, we've taught families how to catch people, not bless people. So all of a sudden, I want you to think about this for a second. So now you got a man who's in an unstable environment. He's trying to step out, do something he's never done before, honor God, live a righteous life. Maybe he doesn't have an example and he's, he's just in it and, and he messes up. And then instead of having the confidence that people still believe in him, now he's also got to worry about, now everybody's going to find out. I'm done. All it takes is one tweet. All it takes is one Facebook post. By the way, innuendo is as good as telling everybody. Do I have to repeat that one? Innuendo is as good as telling everybody. People know what emojis are. And they know what they mean. So now you don't know what to do. You're just... I can't imagine Noah, the boat picking up for the first time and going, God, man, I got my three sons, my wife and their wives, their kids. You better be real on this because I'm, I'm in a place I've never been before. I don't know how to do this. So you can feel the tension in Noah's life. You can feel it. So let's fast forward 40 days, 40 nights. Then it takes a while for the water to go down. You know when fill the whole earth up with water? It takes a while. For, even when you pull the plug, it's like. <laughs> you know, Noah sends the birds out and they come back. And then finally it doesn't, it doesn't come back again. And they, they figure out, hey, it might be safe to open the door. They open the door. Chapter 9 takes a turn. And I'm glad it does. Cause I feel better about myself reading about Noah because every now and then you get blackout drunk in the house and the kids walk in. It's, not tr- it's actually not true all the time. So <laughs> it's only after a big flood that it happens in the Jones house. <laughs> Fathers pay attention to me for a second. Your greatest success could be the moment you need to pay attention to the most. Your greatest success could be dangerous. 
I want you to think about this. If I was Noah knowing me, when the bird didn't come back and I knew that it was safe, I'd have walked up to the door. I told you. Nobody else. I saved everyone. The bird, I saved that. I saved the camel. I saved the cow. I saved the horse. You didn't. I did. Don't ever question your father again. I saved. Could you imagine? Noah's 900 years old. The sun comes over. He's like, hey, dad, I don't think that's a good idea. I saved the whole world. Really? I saved everyone. That's success, isn't it? No other man's been able to ever say that. Jesus was the only one to say that ever after Noah. There's a, an unbelievable parallel between Genesis chapter 9 and the creation story. Watch this. God creates the whole earth, the whole universe, ecosystems, everything, creates humans. And when he creates humans, he creates a garden for them to be in. Everybody remember that? He creates a garden, the Garden of Eden. Now, when God starts over with Noah, when he starts over, the floods recede. What's the Bible say in chapter 9? Noah goes out and plants a vineyard. God created a garden. When, when God starts over, Noah creates a garden. What happens in the Garden of Eden is Adam and Eve are getting along great. It seems, it seems like it's working. And then sin enters into the picture. And the first thing that happens when sin enters into the picture is they figure out that they're naked. And the Bible says that after God proclaims the curse on them, that he covers them with animal skins to cover their nakedness. Do you remember that? Look at the parallelism to the beginning of Genesis, and now God's starting over with Noah. Noah plants a vineyard, and then he drinks of the wine, gets blackout drunk, naked. He's sinning, and the result of his sin is nakedness. It's the same thing happening again. Now, the only difference here is that Adam and Eve didn't have anybody else to reveal themselves. So God covers them. He's teaching humanity how to do this. God covers them in their sin. But when we get to Noah, he unfortunately at this time has three sons. And one of them decides to do something different. Ham walks into the tent looks at his father's nakedness and decides to go out and tell everybody. Now there's a very important thing here in chapter nine that, that the writer of Genesis decides to tell us what the future of that son looks like by telling us the people that come from that son and Ham, the father of Canaan. He doesn't do that with any other son because Ham being the father of Canaan would mean that he was the father of the Canaanites who were arch enemies with Israel. Are you following me? So Ham walks in, exposes his dad. Can you believe dad? Savior of the world. Hammer drunk on his own wine with no clothes on. That's a good look, dad. Appreciate it. But then the Bible says his other two sons, Shem and Japheth, decide instead to do what God did with Adam and Eve. And instead of exposing him, it says they went through the trouble of getting a sheet 
and backing into the tent, looking, not looking at him, looking the opposite way and covering him up. As soon as Noah sobers up, he walks out, realizes what his sons had done. He curses Canaan and blesses the other two sons. If I could get families to understand this, it would transform our culture. We have been taught now to expose every sin of the father. We watch it on TV. As soon as dad does something, dad. We don't even have mom jokes. We got dad jokes. Dad's the one that you can roll your eyes at. Dad's the one that you can dismiss. Dad's the one that as soon as he messes up, dad's the one, dad's the one, dad's the one, dad's the one. If we, we've diminished the role of the father and we go to the point where, where it's okay to expose the sin of the father. The problem is the Bible teaches us the blessing of the family comes through the father. And we wonder why our culture is flipping upside down and families are disintegrating because the one that God designed for the blessing to come through, we've diminished. We've set aside, we've called unnecessary, we've called a problem, we've called toxic, we've called this isn't working out, we can just do it by ourselves and we don't need him. And 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 and, and every every sitcom we watch, he's gonna be the dumbest one on TV and he's gonna be the brunt of every joke and 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 he's not strong enough or he's too strong. And he's, and he's not smart enough or he's too smart. And there's no, there's no middle ground. And it's like, we're always disappointed. But the story of Noah says, you can be a really, really righteous guy and not be perfect. And the difference with the blessing coming to the family is how the family responds to him when he's not perfect. Hmm. I need to let you in on a little something. Remember, ladies, when I said that you're, man, you got some hormones that we don't have, and I'm glad about that. A man is kind of starting off with his fatherhood sometimes from scratch. Remember how we said Noah was doing it for the first time by himself? A lot of times men feel that way about fatherhood. I could tell you this generation coming up with the amount of fatherless homes we have, they're going to be doing the Noah thing over and over and over again because there's not going to be an example. They're going to be winging it. There's not a dad hormone. There's not a, there's not a, there's not a, there's not a, you know, being a dad's not like an Ikea piece of furniture where there's just this manual. You're like, oh, okay, put that one with that one. It's just, it's just because of the way our culture is, it gets so complicated. And many of you, listen, man, I understand many of you didn't have an example. And so you're out here in the boat for the first time. And when it picks up, you're like, I never saw my father do it. Or man, he was a tyrant. And I didn't realize. And, and it's just like, I don't know what to do now. And, and there wasn't a great example. And, and, and I'm just, uh, so you're doing it for the first time. Ladies, if you understood that some of your husbands are doing this for the first time, the first one in their families to make an effort the first one in their families that go, hey, you know what? Like, I'm going to try to turn this thing a little bit. I'm going I'm to try to walk it back from the generations before me. I'm actually going to make an effort. 
I can tell you this right now. A man trying to pivot is an ugly thing sometimes. But this story is not about Noah's sin. It's not about Noah's sin. There is nothing in this story that God even addresses the sin of Noah. God doesn't punish him. God doesn't say, curse are you, Noah. No, this whole story is about how the family deals with Noah's sin. Oh. And God said, there's a way that you can be blessed. Back in the tent. Just back in the tent. I know it's awkward for everybody. I know it's uncomfortable. I know you wish he wasn't like that. I know you wish he hadn't have planted the vineyard. I know there's a lot of things you wish, but at the end of the day, your blessing is going to come through that man. Matter of fact, at the end of the day, you were already blessed because of it. The reason you're breathing right now is because of Noah. And you're telling me he got drunk one time. I'm not advocating drinking. You're telling me he messes up this time and you're that quick to walk in and expose him. And God said, let me teach you something. Watch, watch when Shem and Japheth back in the tent, watch what happens. Ham is cursed and Canaan becomes his, his, his descendants and the other ones are blessed. And what you find out is the way the family responds to the father figuring it out is how the blessing comes through. Can I tell you, um, can I help you understand something? And th- this goes back to the, the way we're wired. It just goes back to the way we're wired. I've been around a long time. We've had three kids. I've never, I've never seen a woman go, I don't know what to do with this thing. When you have a baby, it's like built in. Your arms know what to do. You just curl that thing right up against you. Like the dad wants it to be wiped off. You know what I'm saying? The dad's like, I mean, after you get that thing cut and the and thing wiped off a little bit and it looks okay, give me a week. Like, <laughs> then I'll hold it. You know, I'm like, ah. all three of our kids, I stood up by the bed. The doctor one time said, hey, do you want to cut the cord? I said, I've seen you do it before. You're pretty good at it. I'll just stay right here, bro. I don't need to be a part of that thing. I'll see things I don't want to see. You know what I'm saying? It's not in us. And so what happens is we, we have to get it from somewhere. And here's the reality. Heard a God say one time, my dad did the best he could with what he had. And I didn't understand that at the beginning until I became a dad. And what I realized was, if you go back two generations, in my family, it was pure evil. My grandfather beat women for 60 years. Beat his kids, beat his wife, first wife, second wife, third wife. It was evil up until the day he died. And I, I used to think, I don't understand why my dad can't be better. And then I realized my dad was the first one to pivot.
Man, at 28 years old, he was dealt a deck of cards, no, like, like sick, couldn't work. His whole life ripped out from under him, coming with no example of how to be a father. None. The only example he had was how to abuse everyone around him. And I realized growing up that, that I, I thought, what, are, like how? And then when I became a dad, I realized, oh, he was winging it. Like legitimately didn't know, didn't have an example, didn't know what to do. And so the older I got, the more I realized, oh, wait, he did pretty good. He crushed it. He, the, when he spanked us, I pretty, deserve, I deserved it. Actually, my brother deserved it. I just happened to be in the way. (laughs) With all the turmoil he grew up in, with all the difficulty in his life physically, he was able to make the pivot. But it took me a long time to realize that as much as he got right and as much as he got wrong, the way it affected me depending on whether I blessed him or not, the way it affected me was determined by if I was able to back in the tent with him because he wasn't perfect. But God was still bringing the blessing in my life through him. It was still coming through him. And when I could figure out that my job was not to critique him, but to back in the tent and say, man, you know what? You did a good job. I know you're blackout drunk now, right now. From the crowd. We're going to cover that up right now. We're going to cover it up. Not covering up sin, like we're just get away with it. I'm honoring you because you pivoted. I'm honoring you because you sought to be a righteous man. You didn't get it all right, but that was your heart motivation. So I'm going to back in the tent right now. I'm going to back in the tent right now. And some of the biggest regrets I have are the days I didn't back in the tent. So listen, families, wives, kids, I know sometimes it can feel like all you do is back in the tent. But you may be dealing with a man who's trying to pivot. You may be dealing with a man that didn't have an example. Maybe dealing with a man who doesn't have the hormone just to go, oh, this is the way you do it. You may be dealing with a man who had an awful example. You may be dealing with a man that had no example. You may be dealing with a man who's pivoting. And all God's saying is cover him up every now and then. Because let me let you in on a secret. My wife and I've talked about this a couple times. Men are not complicated. I don't know if you've noticed that. We had this conversation. I'm a very simple lock. You don't need to be a locksmith to get to open this door. There's like two prongs to the lock. It's real simple. If my wife, okay, I've been gone for three weeks. She's been texting me going, you're the most amazing person on the earth. I I believed it at the end of three weeks. I was like, oh, I am. Oh, I am. You wait till I get back. I am amazing. (laughs) 
There's not a brick wall thick enough. If my family honors me, that can keep me out. There's not, there's not a task too difficult. There's not a new thing too outrageous. There's not, there's not, if, if, if my family honors me as the one God has chosen to bless them, there is nothing in this world I don't think I can accomplish. I'm just letting you, letting you into the psyche of a man. But I can tell you when they walk in the tent and go, we knew it. I'm done. I'm done. All the confidence erodes, all the, it just goes away. So what I'm telling you is embrace the blessing in your life. Start to look at your dad as a blessing. Start to look at your husband as a blessing. And I know he's not going to be perfect. Trust me. But back in the tent every now and then and give him the confidence to get up. Give him the confidence to get up and go back to work. Give him the confidence to get up and try to get. Give him, a, give him the confidence that when the ark starts to float a little bit, that he's not going to fall over. Just give him the confidence. And what ends up happening is you are blessed through that. And so my prayer is this morning is that when all of our culture is saying, we don't need fathers, we don't need dads, we don't need husbands, we don't need any of this, that the church rises up and say, we're going to show the world how to bless these people. Because we know that God has chosen through the father to bless the whole family. Amen. And dad, listen, everyone in the room, listen to me, that's trying to figure out how to pivot because you didn't have an example. Because you don't know, you don't, you don't inherently know what it looks like. You're trying to read the word of God and it's not making sense to you. You're trying to pray. You're trying to come to church. You're trying to do the whole thing, but it's just different from what the way you were raised. You're just different from the example you had. Uh, listen to me. I'm praying for you and I'm praying your family would learn how to bless you. Bless you for pivoting. Bless you for turning. Bless you for making the proclamation. My family's going to be different. It might be difficult. It might be awkward. It might be, it might be shaky at times that I'm making the decision this morning. I want you to know you got a pastor that's praying for you. I want you to be a man that blessing comes to your family. Amen. And I want you to be a family that knows how to bless the man. Amen. Could you stand today? I want to pray that blessing over you. And I want you to go home today. I want you to get a big sheet and I want you to back in the tent. I want you to back in the tent. I want you to back in your father's tent. It's a, hey man, you are good with me. I'm co- I'll cover this thing. I want, I want you to be blessed. I want to receive a blessing from you and watch how God works in your family. Amen. Father, I'm praying that over every man in the building that a holy confidence would come over them. Lord, about the position you've given them, the place in life that you've put them as head of their house, as, as, the, as the tap from which the blessing will flow into their wives, into their kids. I pray, Lord, today. I pray that every, every wife, every child in this place would, would learn how to bless the Father and watch that blessing flow back to them. 
Lord, teach us how you did it, Lord. You set it up on purpose like this. Teach us today. Lord, I pray that every family would be blessed in here. Every family. Come on, let's do it together. Come on, can you lift your voice today? Come on, he's been good to us. This is what we can do in response. Come on, let's do it. Every breath that I am 